Today's podcast is sponsored by Labyrinth Marketing, a strategic marketing and capability consultancy who strives to step change the growth of your brands, people, and agencies. We do that by helping you develop that long-term strategic direction that will step change your growth, but also help you to bring that to life through training, coaching, mentoring, and extra resource. Hello, and welcome to the Whole Marketer Podcast. podcast is an area of personal development. It's life by design. And shortly we'll be welcomed by today's guest, Jodie Cook. But before I welcome Jodie onto today's podcast, let me tell you about why I'm so excited to discuss life by design. I believe that the idea of life by design is when we embrace the fact that life is not happening to us, but happening for us. Life by design is a term I use to describe the process of taking time out to think about what we want for our lives as a whole, professionally and personally ensuring that we are looking at all aspects of our life, what, where, how, when and why we work, but how we spend our time, projects and pastimes, who we spend our time with and the experience we have and much, much more. Today's guest is Jodie Cook. Jodie is an entrepreneur, author and athlete on a mission to see what she is capable of and help others do the same. She built and recently sold the marketing agency she started at 22. She writes books and articles on the topic of entrepreneurship, including for Forbes, and she also competes for Great Britain in powerlifting. Jodie writes about how to run a business without it running you, how to live an extraordinary life while running a business, and how to bring the best version of yourself to every single day. Her new book, 10-Year Career, Reimagine Business, Design Your Life, Fast Track for Freedom, is available now. Jodie, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Abby, thank you so much for having me. As always with the podcast, we always start with a big juicy question. And today's big juicy question is, what is life by design to you? I love this question. To me, life by design is the opposite of life by default. And I don't want this to be a cop-out answer that doesn't answer the question that just gives you the opposite. But I think that if you think about life by default, it feels like that's what so many people are doing. And I feel like I was doing that as well for a little while. And life by default is when life becomes the thing that you do when you're not working rather than something that you plan as meticulously as your work goals and aspirations. So for me, it's making really intentional decisions about what I want to have in my life. So a sport that I take seriously and fewer deeper friendships and sunshine and ice cream and exploring and also making very intentional decisions about what I don't want to have in my life. So negative energy, the news, television, gossip, drama, comparison, all those kind of things. So I often write lists of what do I want and what do I not want? And that to me is the basis of life by design. I love that where you've quite clearly taken the time to do an audit of what's staying in your life, what new and what else you want in your life and really making sure that you are looking at your life holistically, which for me really resonates with the whole marketer concept. Yeah, definitely. It has to be intentional because if you just went through life not really thinking about it, I think you would just be at the mercy of the news or just whatever happened to be talked about by your friends or whatever events happened to be going on in your town. And you wouldn't really get what you wanted out of your life, I don't think. I think you have to be intentional about it. 
Definitely. I always say we have one life, we should be running towards it like we're on fire. <laughs> and life for design for me is, as you just said, looking at it holistically so that your work life and your life life are working in harmony together. And what I absolutely loved about your recent book, The 10-Year Career, and to anyone wanting to take the reins of their life as a whole, including their own businesses or the businesses that they work in, go and get it. It was an absolutely brilliant read, a read that I did while on holiday and couldn't put down. And what I loved about it is it looks at how business can be a catalyst to giving you the financial freedom to live your best life as opposed to the other way around. As I said to you in a text message, Jody, I was absolutely hooked after seven pages in. And for those that are sat here listening, thinking, well, I don't have my own business. This isn't for me. It is for you because it's for you if you're thinking about your own business. It's for you if you have your own business. It's for you if you are running or leading a business because it really allows you to take step back, take the reins of your life and career as a whole, especially those that have that entrepreneurial mindset, that have that business idea and that they want to get clear on how they can possibly take it or scale it. But also for those that are working within businesses and have an idea and they're thinking how they can benefit and scale it also. Now, in your book, I loved how you peppered with the realities of mindset and beliefs that you need in order to face into and adopt and make that life by design a reality. Tell us more about what growth mindset means to you and how that's a catalyst to getting that life by design. Sure. Great question. And I absolutely love talking about growth mindset. I think to me, it means that you recognize that who you are today is not who you will always be. So there is a bias that I heard about called something like finished article bias. And that says that when we look back, so five or so years, for example, we can say with certainty that we are so different to that version of us. So if you, so if Abby, you think back to yourself in 2017, for example, you might be like, oh, I was so green back then. I was so naive and I didn't know anywhere near what I know now. If you think about projecting yourself forward to the 2027 version of you, we can really struggle to comprehend that person. The bias says that we think we will be the same as we are now, but we just won't. So in that gap is growth. And in that gap is so much excitement. <laughs> Inside the gap is the books you read and the questions you've asked and everything that you've learned and all the people you've met and all the new doors that have opened. And in that time, you've done more and lived more. And each of these things adds up to being completely unrecognizable in five years. But you have to have a growth mindset to even think that that is possible. Otherwise, you'll just project yourself forward and you'll think that you're exactly the same. So the growth mindset is one that's open and ready for that to happen and for that future to arrive, even if you don't really know exactly how it's going to manifest. And I love that aspect about the biases, because what I'm hearing from how you've described that is that some individuals that aren't adopting that growth mindset find it hard to imagine a different version of themselves in five years. Mm -hmm. And potentially that's our brain trying to keep us safe. But I also think there's an element in there around those individuals potentially not being able to dream big, maybe not even giving themselves the headspace to dream big, to see themselves in a better place, shall we say, than they are now. Yeah. If you have that bias going on, you can only project forward from the version of you that you are now. And you think of all these big plans and the big goals that you might 
want to create for yourself but then you think no I could never do that and you don't appreciate that you'll be a different person in five years because you will have grown and got better it can massively hold us back if we don't appreciate that we'll be different in the future and actually when you were describing Abby if you look back five years ago versus looking in the future you're 100% right you know the version of me five years ago the doors that have been opened the opportunities the sense that I've sniffed the people that I've been connected to all of those things that you described have massively evolved and I wonder if in order to think about the version of you in the five years you need to almost do that exercise first to be able to really concrete and show your brain the evidence of the change that can happen in that same time period. I think it's a really good exercise because no one really likes looking at their earlier work, I think. Say if you went back to an article or a blog post that you wrote five years ago or a talk that you did or a podcast even that you recorded, you'd probably listen to it and think, oh, I do that so much different now. And you'd almost want to edit it. And maybe you'd feel embarrassed that it was out there. But I think all those feelings are really good signs because the alternative is that we're really happy with the work we did five years ago. And therefore, we probably have stagnated because we haven't grown beyond us. So I think it's only a good thing if we're really embarrassed about former versions of us. I couldn't agree more. And one thing that's evident for me, Jodie, is you are somebody who practices what you preach. You know, you do adopt that growth mindset. And for those that are listening that don't know Jodie, she is living her life by design. She has built and sold an agency. She is about to compete in a powerlift Commonwealth competition in New Zealand. And there are so many faucets to the life that you live. You know, even right now, you're recording this podcast from Copenhagen as part of your training, you know, you are really living a life by design. In order to live that life by design, not only do you have to have the growth mindset yet, a better version of yourself that you are working towards, but you've got to have that drive and energy. Where does your drive and energy come from? Great question. I think so much about energy. I maybe think too much about energy, but the thing that I came up with recently is a bit geeky, but I'll share it anyway. (laughs) I don't think anyone will mind, but it's called the Entrepreneur's Energy Score. And I kind of see myself as this video game character. So you wake up in the morning, you've got a full bar of energy. And every time you run and jump, your energy depletes and you go about your day and, and your energy kind of wears down. But then you've got these different situations that fill you up with energy. Maybe you can access energy boosts that then give you more. So I try and think about every situation, every conversation, every person I encounter, everything I do as being on this energy scale. And it's quite a simple scale. So it runs from minus three to plus three, but you can rank everything you do, everyone you speak to, everything on this. So maybe you realize that when you watch the news, you feel a bit rubbish. So you're going to give that like a minus two. And maybe you've got a friend that really energizes you and is like your hype girl and always lifts you up. So you rank them at plus two or plus three. And if you thought about your day in terms of the energy that it gave you or the energy that it drained, by the end of it, we'd be in much better places in our minds, especially. And that would set up the next day really well. And when thinking about the score, I always think of the few different levels down to how my energy is. So maybe I'm going to do a workout and it's going to really knacker me. So on the surface, that might be a minus two or a minus three. But in the future, it's going to give me loads more energy because of the serotonin and the endorphins and because I'll feel fitter and I'll be able to attack the day better. So it's really a plus two or a plus three. So there's kind of different levels to it. But I like thinking about everything I encounter in terms of a score and try and only fill my 
life and work with the things that will add rather than take away from my overall energy. I love that scale. I'm going to use that myself. I often look at the things that I'm doing in my life as a whole that play to my values because those things give me energy. But I think you could also use your tool to map your day ahead because we all want to only focus on the things that give us energy, but there are things that we kind of have to do that don't. So it's almost about thinking, so what am I going to do after or before to fill that cup up or replenish afterwards as well? And make sure that you are planning your weeks, I guess, around the radiators and the drainers. Yeah. And also the things that we have to do, is there anything that we have to do? Because yeah, there might be, but there's probably lots of stuff that we think we have to do or we think we should do. Like that word just signals obligation or someone else's expectations of us. But really, if we really, really thought about it, there would be a way around it, no matter what it is. So I think it could be dug into a little bit more. And even the things that you feel like you have to have in your day, you could just take them out and swap them for something else and it would be net positive. Great reflection great reflection to someone who is a people pleaser. (laughs) So somebody who's straight away thinking about that might sap my energy, but I'm still going to do it anyways. Actually, do I need to do it at all? Yeah. I do it differently. So it doesn't actually, we always have a choice is what I say to everyone, but we don't always practice what we preach. Yeah. So there's an exercise that I really like doing when I want to audit my life. And this is when I'm feeling a little bit out of kilter and like something's not quite right. So I take a blank piece of paper and draw a line down the middle and a line down the middle the other way. So one horizontal, one vertical, and then write start, stop, less and more in each of those four boxes. And then I think about my life in terms of those four words and work out what I'm going to do more of, less of, start doing or stop doing. And that leads to a lot of the things that are minus threes, minus twos, minus ones being removed. And then I think about what I can add because there's another bias. I'm obsessed with the biases that we all fall for, but there's addition bias, which is that when we're trying to solve a problem, we tend to focus on what we can add Whereas the best way is often focus on what we can take out first, then it frees up the space and then we have a clearer head and more room to manoeuvre. And then after that, we can decide what to fill it with. Yeah, it's a great exercise. And I do something not dissimilar. So I start with the white sheet of paper, the same. I don't grid it. I literally just get everything out as a brain dump that's bothering me and look at the interdependencies. And then I do those four categorizations. So I do what can I kill? straight away get rid of Uh what I still need to do but I could delegate what am I going to continue doing what am I going to start doing to try to address those things just helps with the overwhelm so it's not dissimilar but it both starts with a white sheet of paper it's just the best tool you don't need fancy things and fancy web pages and fancy apps you can just have a white sheet of paper and everything that's in your head but I think the trick is being unavailable in that time and making sure that nothing can distract you and also you know that discomfort that you feel when you know you really want to check something like when you want that little hit of dopamine and then you have to be like no stop and just recognize that you feel it and then just sit with it and then continue with your white sheet of paper and then find all the answers but it just works like nothing else it's magic love that and I think for me what's clear is you're describing the growth the drive, the energy is that kind of definition of an entrepreneur, you know, someone who sees an opportunity, who has the bravery and mindset to go after it, but also has the energy and the drive to make it happen. And all of that combined is one of the skills that I highlight in the book around what I believe marketeers skills should have today. So there's quite a lot of overlap with that. Mm -hmm. 
And there's probably people listening to this that are thinking, well, I've got a business idea or I've got an idea in the existing business that I'm in. Apart from reading your book, (laughs) what advice would you give to them in getting started with that idea? I think before anyone goes down the road with one business idea, they should first go through a phase of ideation. And I believe how that should start is create some parameters for your ideas. So it's really easy to come up with business ideas. It's really hard to come up with the business ideas for businesses that we really do want to run. And I know that for my next business, for example, if I didn't think of parameters, I would probably just open a gym. But I know for sure I don't want to open a gym because I don't want to be dependent on a location. And I don't want to have various things that opening a gym involves. So you have to create the parameters first and then come up with the ideas that fit in with them. So maybe the certain lifestyle that you want, the place you want to live in the world, the dream for how big the business can be and making sure that your idea could reach that level. And then when you've got your parameters, go on a journey of opening your mind. So read new books, talk to new people, go to new places and go down rabbit holes of what you're interested in or with just no pressure to come up with something. So I'd probably give yourself the longest time period possible to do this. So like a month or more if you can. And then I'd say come up with loads of ideas and aim for 20 of them. So come up with loads, write them all down, play around with them and write little business plans for each of them. But don't buy any domain names, don't Google the competition, don't talk to anyone about them because they'll just try and talk you out of them. Just let them all sit in your head. And then what I'd say is go forward with the one that you just cannot stop thinking about. And the one that people are asking you about or the one that perfectly fits in with your zone of genius, which is another exercise that I really love. And then once you know that you're going forward with the idea that from all of these ones that you came up with, you know that that was the one that you just can't stop thinking about. You have all this passion and energy and drive behind it because it almost feels like the whole journey has led you back to this one idea that you know you will make a success. And then you are in the execute phase and that's where your goal is to get it off the ground in a very simple way. That's great advice. And as I was listening to your advice, I was thinking about three elements of that. The first one is actually the amount of time that you give to ruminating the ideas. Yeah. Yeah. The next is the level of time that you also give to that kind of discovery and fact-finding around those ideas. And then also your filter being a real emotive, what I call a soul connection to that idea, like a soul goal. Yeah. It's funny because when I often think about entrepreneurs, and once again, here's a biases in my head or a narrative in my head, they have to do everything quickly. So they almost like have to come up with the idea and bring it to market quickly before the market changes. And actually, that's not the process at all from the way that you've described it. So it's a really mm-hmm. good reframing of that for me personally, and I'm sure for our listeners. I think I came up with that from feeling rushed. So when I sold my agency, it was March 2021 when it was completed, but it didn't really go live kind of in in press until June 2021. But then after that, the one question I just heard from everyone was just what's next. And I think I was asked what's next like multiple times a day. And it stressed me out at the time because I had no idea. But then when I thought about why it was stressing me out, I thought it's fine. I can just chill out. I don't need to decide right now. Everything's fine. And it was that that led to just a whole 18 months of just exploration, coming up with new ideas, not putting any pressure on on going forward. Even LinkedIn, I'd log into LinkedIn and it would say, hey, Jodie, you need to update your current workplace. (laughs) And I was like, leave me alone. And 
people would ask me in the gym like I'd meet someone new and they'd say what do you do and I was like I really just do not have a good answer for that I cannot answer that question right now so I'd avoid speaking to new people and then I decided that that was just really stupid and that I was going to own this phase of not knowing and that it's okay not to know and I would rather not know for a longer period than go forward with the wrong idea but it all involves this trust that you'll figure it out it'll all be fine in the future and you'll just make it a success so trust in that process and owning the space yeah and not feeling like you have to know and it's okay if someone's like what do you do and you say don't really know (laughs) don't know yet but I'll let you know when I do (laughs) yeah all in good time all in good time that's excellent advice for those that are thinking about what's next whether that's a new job a new business idea whatever that may be you heard it here you have the time and the license to percolate to think to discover before the thinking about emotively which one are you the most passionate about so you are aligning your purpose and your values and your soul with what you are going to move forward with so absolutely excellent advice and speaking of advice when I was reading your book it really did make me think about labyrinth that I built or started out building shall I say eight years ago versus labyrinth today almost wish I'd had your book because the way that I would have built it could have potentially been very different although it came from a place of soul and passion the way that it's been scaled could have been different and I'm sure that to anyone listening the way you have structured how you can scale businesses for that exit so you can live your true life by design was really clear it's got four phases for those that are listening. Execute, systemize, scrutinize, and exit. Could you take us through each of those four phases? Yes, definitely. So execute is the first stage. And this comes after the ideation phase. So it leads on quite nicely. But the in the execute phase, your goal is three things. Find one flagship product or service. Sell it to one customer type through one marketing channel. I think it's really easy to overcomplicate the first phase of business, but it doesn't need to be complicated in any way. You're pretty much proving product market fit. You're proving there's a demand for what you have created. There's a customer base ready to buy or they are buying and you know exactly how to reach them. And that's through one channel, not through a bazillion different ways that you can't properly measure. So I think the execute phase, the first stage is the most exciting because it's where you're busy, you're saying yes, you're meeting people, you're letting people pick your brain, you're going for coffee, you're just seeing what might be possible and getting your business off the ground. I think the pitfalls of this stage are trying to systemize too early, trying to delegate too early and thinking too far ahead about what it all means that you're pretty much just trying stuff and seeing what sticks and that's okay and then when I got to the end of this execute phase was when I realized that I was far too busy Um, I knew what I was selling I knew who was selling it to I knew the channel through which I was selling but I needed to empower other people to do some of the doing and stop being the bottleneck to my business so a main definer of the execute phase is that you will be the bottleneck to a lot of the processes, probably the bottleneck to growth and probably a key person in your business. So things will have to go by you. But progressing to systemize, which is the second phase, involves figuring out all those processes, putting them in order of importance, and then working out which you can automate, delegate or eliminate and getting other people to take them off your hands so that you can 
free up your time and so that you can get your business to grow more. I don't want to gloss over that because it's a massive, massive stage that not that many business owners at all complete. But once you have completed that, you're in scrutinize. And this is where you have a business that feels like a well-oiled machine because it runs by default and breaks occasionally, not the other way around, which most businesses do. And then that's where you can take a long, hard look in the mirror and work out what you want to do. And for me, when I got to this stage, I traveled and I spent one month in every three living, working from a different place, training, traveling, and knowing that my business was running. Some people might want to go head back into the execute phase, but on a different level. So the person who bought my agency decided that running agencies was just his jam. He wanted to do it again, but on a bigger level. So he bought a bunch of agencies, put them all together and started executing just on level above. Or you could use the scrutinized phase to decide that this is where you want to exit your business and executes the fourth phase, which you don't have to get to. But it either means selling your business or having a kind of liquidity event of some sort, or it means owning your business, but not running it. I think that's quite difficult, but it can be done. But it means that there are boundaries in place as to whether you will or won't get involved in certain situations, but you continue to own the asset and you kind of free yourself up to do whatever it might be. So I feel like the framework and those four stages are kind of the antidote to feeling stuck, the antidote to not knowing what to do. And the antidote to bad advice, because I really believe that one of the things that holds entrepreneurs back the most is getting advice that's right for one stage that isn't right for another stage, and then following it and then feeling confused and then not knowing what they should do. I think of it like entrepreneurs have this plan and this progression route in place for all their team members, but where's the plan and progression route in place for us? And I think this is it. Really great methodology to follow and as you say you know that systemized phase is probably the juiciest when I was reading through and as you say the differing approaches and advice that you had your book is peppered through your own personal experiences having gone through this yourself yeah it was I would just want to say it only makes sense looking back for me at the time I was figuring it all out running around in the dark like a headless chicken just like everyone else but when I look back it's like yeah it definitely went through these four stages and if I knew then what I knew now I could have done those four stages in a different way and in a better way um but I I've got a quiz as part of a part, as part of 10-year career it's at quiz.10yearcareer.com and it's where you can find out which of those stages you're in but from the results of the hundreds of entrepreneurs that have taken the quiz now we know that 63% are in execute, 33% are in systemize, and then it's only 3% in scrutinize and 1% in exit. So if you even get to scrutinize, you're in like the top 4% of, of entrepreneurs because everyone else is stuck in those first few phases because they are hard and because it does almost require that future, better, newer version of you just to push through them. What's really reassuring of those stats, Jodie, is I'm actually in the second phase and systemize with the majority. Great. Okay. And I did that very audit that you just described the link to, which we'll put into the podcast notes as well. Really useful questioning that can also not only allow you to diagnose, but allow you to think what you may need to get in place in order to move to the next phase as well. Systemize is a tough phase because you almost have to see it as an investment because I think systemizing your business is not necessarily going to make you money straight away. It's probably going to cost you money because you're going to be hiring people and you're going to be using software that's going to be costing you money. So it needs that foresight again to be able to think, I will 
give stuff to other people. I will train and trust other people to do things and other platforms. And then when that happens, my time will be freed up and then I can do what only I can do and everything else I can get taken care of. But it's really easy to want to not let go and to want to micromanage and then that sends you right back into execute and then you keep telling yourself oh no one can do it better than I can no one can do it even anywhere near as bad as me like oh that client wants to speak to me they can't possibly speak to someone else and it's all just these limiting beliefs that keep us really small and keep us in the execute phase of our business and prevent us from ever having a sale ready asset that someone else wants to take off us and I think for me Some of what you said there holds true, but also the energy, because I've spent so long in the execute, defining the propositions and the customers and, you know, building a team. Actually, having done execute differently, I could have potentially moved into systemize quicker. And the energy to now move through systemize, although I'm in this place of, I know that, but the energy was almost a lot of it from me personally was in the first stage. If I'd known what you know now and what I know now, I would have spent less time in that phase and more in this. And so it's about digging deep, that reflection going again. Yeah. And what's that phrase about the best time to plant a tree? Something like the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Great piece of advice. (laughs) Hindsight is a wonderful thing. I know. (laughs) Maybe it can feel a bit intimidating when you think that someone else has got it all figured out. But in reality, I don't think any of us do. I think all we can do is figure out our own ways and then show other people what they are in case they help them on their journey. I think all the stuff that's written into 10-year career, like I'm definitely not trying to say this is my way and this is the only way and this is what you should do. It's more like here are some ideas that might help you with your journey as well. Yeah, but I also think that by having this clarity from your model means that the way that you would set up your business would be different from the offset as opposed to maybe getting through the execute phase like myself and then going, oh, actually the way that I'm going to do the next phase is completely different to how I set out. That piece of advice that you were giving earlier about how different businesses and the advice that you've got may no longer be relevant. Yeah. And it's the acceptance of that and then the reframing and then the energy to do it differently to get to a result that you may have not even thought that you wanted in the beginning. You know, I didn't set out when starting Labyrinth as an example, thinking I'm going to exit this in X amount of years. I thought about it from a place of purpose and passion. And so the choices I would have made would have been slightly different had Mm -hmm. I thought about that from the beginning and was mindful of your four phases, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's why I quite like the time frame of 10 years, because I think it's long enough to think long term, but short enough to not just waste time. And if you compare it to a normal career that's like 40, 50, 60 years, maybe, then it encourages you to move faster, but not at the expense of long term relationships, because I still think that the wrong way to go about business is trying to sell things really quickly to people and trying to just get you know secure a quick buck or find the shortcuts or work on the hacks I think it's more about playing the long-term games and finding long-term people to do that with but under the premise of we're not going to live forever we want to do big things and we want them fairly quickly I feel like there's a Freddie Mercury live forever something yeah yeah something in there so, so true. Well, it got me thinking. I'm sure to the listeners, it would get you thinking too. So go buy Jodie's book, 10 Year Career. Now, Jodie, you are living proof or a proof it's possible, as I like to call it, 
of a human being or a living legend that has proven your reality for many other people that are thinking about setting up on their own or thinking about how they're going to step change the growth within their own business that they're working within. You're someone who started a digital agency at 22, sold it at 32, and now as someone who competes internationally in powerlifting. I would love to hear your career highs and lows. Career high was selling my agency. I didn't even know it was possible before I started talking to my broker and started along the journey of selling and then realized that because I'd systemized my business and because I'd for a very long time run it like a lifestyle business, I had a sale-ready asset that quite a few different people wanted to buy. So that was cool. And then signing, sealing and delivering that was even cooler. And especially because it came after such what felt like ages, it was only about six weeks, but the due diligence, the going through lawyers, doing all that admin stuff that just feels like it takes forever and was the biggest test of my patience to date. (laughs) That felt, if you've ever tried to hurry up lawyers, you'll know that it's just not possible. So I think that's my main career high. I think that career lows is hard because the entrepreneurial mind always wants to reframe stuff as being a really good thing. But I think that if I've had any career lows, it's all because I did something too rushed. I convinced myself that something needed to happen right now. And I overlooked red flags in order to put it in place. And probably specifically, it's any hiring decisions that I've made that I made in a hurry that I ignored that niggling feeling I had in favor of just moving quickly and getting someone in place. And in an agency, this is a classic problem because you don't want to put your clients off far enough that they're going to say no or go somewhere else, but you want to make sure that you can hire the right people at the right time. And I know I made hiring mistakes from rushing. And so probably career lows were from the aftermath of that. And what I learned is that it is never worth it. It's always better to lose a client that you've got potentially signed up than run with that client, put someone in place who isn't right for your business, and then have to deal with whatever comes of that because it just never turns out right. So yeah, there definitely aren't too many career lows and I'm grateful for everything that's happened along the journey but I would say that those ones are because of rushing and having impatience yeah that's it (laughs) and then another high that came after selling the business was just that working through the post-exit haze and realizing that there wasn't a rush in what I did next because when I started the agency I was 22 I was fresh out of a graduate scheme and I didn't think at all about what I wanted to do. So there was no business plan. I just got clients. I just rocked up to networking events, told people that I was a social media manager and started getting clients from there. It really wasn't planned. There wasn't a big ideation phase. There wasn't 20 ideas and then I rolled with one. There was one idea that I rolled with. So it was definitely right at the time, but I knew that I didn't want to rush into starting another business in the same way. So I'm quite happy that I worked through the impatience and got myself to chill out and find the right next move before making it. That's a great piece of advice. And it feels to me very much like a life lesson learned, having time to really think. Yeah. The thing I think about a lot is everyone's got different personalities and everyone's biggest strengths can often be their biggest weaknesses if taken too far. And I know that being determined and driven is a really good strength, but I know when it's taken too far, it can turn into impatience and restlessness. So it's like, how do I get it to be eight out of 10 without getting all the bad things at the same time? So that's what I work on quite a lot. Yeah. And that's not 
uncommon for those that are adopting a growth mindset and that are putting their energy into achieving their goals is I always say a little bit every day because the second our brain thinks that it's a negative thing, us working towards our goals because we've become overwhelmed, it almost retracts. So it's really, as you say, making sure that you don't go 10 out of 10, you don't go 11 out of 10 to the point of overwhelm and you stop. It's that that real sweet spot in between. Yeah, that's so much of entrepreneurship is finding that sweet spot with everything. Because, oh, we talk about this in the book, actually, with all curves of everything and how entrepreneurs need to sit just to the right of center in a lot of different areas. Because if you don't know enough about something, you'll have to outsource and then you'll have to hire someone else who's going to do it, but you won't know anything at all about what they're doing. So they could just be doing nothing and you wouldn't know. But if you go too far to the right, you become an expert in that topic and then you could lead to that being your main craft. And then you're essentially an artist who is spending a lot of their time doing the doing, but hasn't got the space to be the manager at the same time. So it's like knowing enough about a lot of different things so that you can understand when someone else is a master, when someone else is an expert, but you're not tied up in doing it yourself. Great piece of advice and reflection as well as somebody who's lived that and done the work on kind of the science behind it as well. Mm -hmm. So Jodie, Thank you so much so far for your time on today's podcast. You've given us great piece of advice from the energy scale to your white sheet of paper exercise to making sure that people, you know, give themselves the time and headspace in order to allow those ideas to come and percolate and to be discovered. It feels unfair to ask the final question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. (laughs) What one piece of advice would you give to marketers And I've slightly changed this for you and entrepreneurs of tomorrow. The advice I would give to the marketers and the entrepreneurs of tomorrow is just don't think too much before you've done all the exploration. So I would say keep your options open for as long as possible and then move when you see it. And a really good tool for that. We've mentioned the blank sheet of paper, but time in a room alone with no devices, just a pen and paper can be just as valuable as time in front of a laptop. And I've probably fairly recently come to realize that. And especially if you've got a busy mind, if you're a type A personality, you want to sit and be doing stuff all the time. But the sitting back and reflecting and just thinking, who am I? What am I here to do? What am I uniquely placed to deliver? What can only I do and what am I here for? Answering those big questions, even if you don't quite know the answer, but just journaling and scribbling down the responses can be so much more valuable than time spent just sending emails or, I don't know, speaking to people online. But we don't always make the space for it. So it's sitting back, having the blank space, pausing, removing stuff from your life before you add it in and then seeing what comes out. And I think it'll be far better than if we were busy and if we went for the first thing that crossed our mind. Brilliant piece of advice. And thank you again so much for your time on today's podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for all the feedback on the book as well. It's been amazing. I'm so happy that you loved it. You loved it. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the Whole Marketeer podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please do click follow below for more weekly podcasts. The Whole Marketer book is now available in all good bookstores. And to find out more about how Labyrinth can support and step change the growth of your brand or agency, go to www.labyrinthmarketing.co.uk.